Some of the newspapers reported um, how Russia's stock market crashed as a result of the war in Ukraine. It's, uh, it's not a surprise given the economic sanctions that have been uh, deployed uh, against Russia these days. One article claimed that even in the U.S., and I quote, a number of Russia-focused funds uh, or fund tradings in the United States crashed, reflecting hundreds of millions of dollars in market value wiped from Russian stocks. Now, friends, the, uh, hearing in the news the horrific, horrific events of what is transpiring in Ukraine is hard enough. Uh, but also considering on the economic level uh, the reality of seeing investments be wiped away uh, even for folks here in the U.S. who have invested in Russian funds uh, is a painful reality. Now, as we reflect on the economic sanctions and the waves of that that we feel even here in the U.S., would you consider it valuable information to know ahead of time what is worth investing into? Do you think that would be helpful information to know what is worth putting your resources into and what is worth avoiding? People often speculate on that information uh, and want to make sure that they use their investments rightly. Uh, that's how they seek to make wealth and to protect their wealth. Knowing what is worth investing into and what is not is incredibly valuable information. And, the, and spiritually, uh, the same principle applies. Uh, this is what our text that we will be looking at today will tell us. What is worth investing your life into and what is not? So the theme of this morning's message is caution. Don't be deceived. Let's open God's Word to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 6 to verse 10. This is the second to last uh, sermon in the series on the book of Galatians that the Lord has led us through over the last few months. Here is God's word for us this morning from Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. This is the word of God for us this morning. Would you join me in praying and asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearing uh, as we hear from the Lord. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, you have revealed your word to us, and we are standing here in the name of Christ, wanting your assistance, needing your help as we hear from you through this word. I pray that you assist me in the proclamation of this word and that you help us all to hear it. Drill this word deep into our hearts. Enable our hearts, our inner beings to feast on your word. In the name of Christ we pray. And through the power and the presence of your spirit. Amen. As we come to the close of the end of uh, the book of Galatians, I want, us to I want to remind us where we have been so far and uh, to consider that this book uh, has been a book that has taught the believers throughout the history of the church of the importance of the doctrine of being justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. We saw in the first sermon in the series uh, many months ago that the book of Galatians could be summarized in one sentence, uh, and it would be this, guard the gospel of justification by faith alone, otherwise all is lost. Guard the gospel of justification by faith alone, otherwise all is lost. Yet, being declared right before God by faith alone does not mean that saving faith remains alone. As we have seen in the second part of this book, when we respond to God's word by faith, we are not only justified before God, but we also receive a new life that the Spirit of God brings us. Uh, because of that new life, we respond with repentance, with trust in God's word, with yearning for holiness, with love for others. So faith that justifies, the faith that justifies us before God's throne, never comes alone, even though we are justified by faith alone. As one pastor put it wisely, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. Uh, saving faith is always producing a radical change in our lives. Uh, last week in our Sunday Bible study, uh, the adult class examined the passage in James 2 that brings up this point. Uh, but even the book of Galatians beats this drum. As we approach the end of this book, Paul gives us a caution that we should not disconnect our lives from our faith. If we do, we deceive ourselves, and we will be in for a big, big surprise. Uh, so this text cautions us against thinking that we can choose to continue living our lives for ourselves and still reap eternal life. This text cautions us against the danger of thinking that we can continue to live life for ourselves and still expect to reap eternal life. The main point of the message this morning is simply this. Don't invest in what will crumble. 
Instead, give yourself to what it is eternal. Don't invest in what will crumble. Instead, give yourself to what is eternal. Uh, the applications of this text are all related to the principle that Paul explains in verses 7 and 8 in our passage. So we will first look at that, pass, at that principle in verse 7 and 8, and then we'll look at the applications uh, that start in verse 6 and then all the way to verse 9 and 10. Uh, let's look this morning at the principle and then at the applications of the principle. The principle is stated first, consider where you are sowing. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Consider where you are sowing. Uh, this principle is introduced with a warning, a caution against being deceived. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a strong language. What a strong language. Not only to warn against miscalculating your moves and life plans, but also uh, warning against assuming that you can trick God, that you can outwit Him. How were the Christians in Galatia in danger of fooling themselves or trying to assume that they can trick God? Well, they were in danger of thinking that if they have the right doctrine, they can live however they want. Knowing the truth of God, knowing the truth about the gospel, which Paul tried to correct in the first half of the book, yet... Continuing to choose to live for yourself is foolishness and a sure path to deceive yourself. Right doctrine, the right knowledge of God will not save you. If you continue living for yourself, unless your faith affects what you are living for, you are deceiving yourself. So even for us as a congregation that try to make sure that we guard the truth of the gospel regularly and continually, the caution that we get to hear this morning is that it's not enough simply to hold on to the right understanding of the gospel. If that understanding simply remains at our head knowledge and does not affect the orientation of our lives. And this is the point of the illustration of sowing and reaping. Look again at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now the image of uh, sowing and reaping comes from the world of agriculture. Everyone knew this truth and everyone knows the, the, the illustration if you sow wheat, don't expect to reap corn. If you sow garlic in your raised flower beds, don't expect to, to pick up strawberries. It's a common principle. You can only reap what you sow. In the book of Hosea, God uses the imagery of sowing to call people to seek the Lord 
by calling them to seek or to sow in righteousness as opposed to sowing in their own rebellious ways. The act of sowing and reaping is used to speak of spiritual realities as well. And in, in our text, the act of sowing refers to what you invest your life into, what desires you are pursuing, what abilities you are relying on, what values and wisdom is guiding you. In a nutshell, the act of sowing is a picture of what you give yourself to pursuing. Now, Paul presents two vastly uh, different directions that are before us. Look at verse 8, where Paul fleshes out this imagery of sowing and reaping for our spiritual lives. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do you see the vastly different outcomes? Sowing in the flesh will yield corruption because that is all that the flesh is able to yield in the end. Given enough time, letting the course of our flesh run its course, what we will yield or what we will reap from the flesh is corruption. But sowing in the Spirit will yield from the Spirit eternal life because that is what the Spirit of God is able to produce. At the end of the age, the prophet of the flesh will be corruption. The prophet of the Spirit will be life. Because the Spirit is able to bring life where there is no life. The Spirit is able to bring life where death reigns. Oh, friends, why would we choose to invest in the flesh as opposed to the Spirit? When you hear what these two fields will yield, it makes pretty good sense that we should invest in the Spirit, doesn't it? And yet, we so often don't. And the question is, why not? Why is it easier for us to constantly be lured to invest in the flesh as opposed to in the spirit? And I think understanding a particular detail about this illustration will help us see why we so often still choose to invest in the flesh versus the spirit. In this illustration of sowing and reaping, the entire life is assumed to be the time of sowing. In this illustration, the reaping comes only at the end. At the end of our lives, when our lives are totally spent, or at the end of the age. Until that time, we are in the season of sowing. In this illustration, this means that the fruit is not apparent to us 
in the process of sowing. And that's why we are, invest, we are lured to invest so often in the wrong field. Sowing in the flesh seems way more intuitive because the flesh is what you can see and touch and measure. And because it is so, it gives the impression that the crop of the flesh will be enduring, certain, lasting. After all, it's what you got today. Hold on to it. The certainty of the immediate. There's something luring about that for us. But to our surprise, the fruit yielded by the field of the flesh at the end of the age is exact opposite of what it promises to us now and here. It's corruption. It's that which will decay. It's that which will be worthless, useless, and gone. The field of the Spirit is different. Unlike the flesh, the field of the Spirit is that which you cannot touch. It's that which you cannot see with your physical eyes. It takes faith to believe in this field. It takes faith to invest in this field. It takes trusting in the God who tells us to believe what the Spirit does in us. To the eyes of the flesh, sowing in the field of the Spirit may feel like a total loser investment, a foolish investment, a wasted investment of resources, of dreams, of goals, of life itself. Why would you sow in a field you cannot see or touch or measure with your physical eyes? There's no quarterly investment reports on the field of the Spirit. That's why it's hard for us to actually regularly invest in the field of the Spirit and sow in it as opposed to sowing in the flesh. And yet the crop of the Spirit is radically different. What was not seen or touched in the time of sowing yields lasting, enduring fruit, the fruit of eternal life. What a radically different crop than the crop of the field called the flesh. Oh, my dear friends, we're called to consider where we're sowing. These, fi these fields are vastly different in what the sowing looks like and in what the fruit at the end of the age will look like. So what does it mean to sow in the spirit versus in the flesh? At a basic level, consider the following questions. Are you seeking to live life based on what is natural to your human nature? If so, you are sowing 
in the flesh. Are you making choices in your day based on what is feeling good to your human nature? Just because it feels naturally good to you does not mean that it is necessarily good for your soul. Actually, by living solely based on what feels good and natural to us is a sure way to reap corruption at the end of the age. We need something outside ourselves to reap eternal life. We need the Spirit of God. Sowing in the Spirit does not mean that you get to invent your own spirituality. This is so common today. This is such a lure. People who, who are lured to thinking, I just want to live a good spiritual life. Well, who determines what is good spiritual life? Today, people don't want to be religious. They just want to be spiritual. Have you heard that? I don't want to be religious. I just want to be spiritual. It's a common trap to be lured into thinking that you get to invent your own spirituality. This is not what it means to sow in the Spirit. To get to sow in what you think is right in, in the Spirit. The way of sowing in the Spirit starts with giving yourself to the Word of God, which is Spirit-inspired. Sowing in the Spirit uh, is turning to God's Word to understand from the Word of God how God reveals Himself to us. What God has done for our sin, what God has done in Jesus Christ to pay for our sin by crucifying Christ, by putting Him to death as a substitute, by raising Him from the grave, and then by pouring His Spirit on us so that all those who would trust in Christ, who would turn away from their rebellion, away from their ignorance, could receive the new life of God through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring life to His people. So are you turning your life to live based on what God's Word has revealed to us through the Spirit? Or are you turning yourself, your life, to just live for your own purposes, by your own guidance, by your own spirituality? I love what Charles Spurgeon said about sowing in the Spirit, He who sows the Spirit is led and guided by the Spirit of God, led to repent of sin, led to believe in Jesus, led to a new life, led to holiness, led to sanctification. This is what God calls each of us to do in sowing in the Spirit. Are you aware how your own heart is tempted to sow in the flesh as opposed to sowing in the Spirit? I wonder if you have Christians around you who um, you feel safe to open up to and share when your heart and mind and tongue and actions and affections are lured on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, to turn away and, and keep sowing in the wrong field over and over again. As we have sung in the in the song earlier in the service, Lord, prone to wonder how I feel it. Lord, prone to leave the God I love. We need the grace of God 
to help us remind each other daily, regularly. This is why we, in our services, we regularly have prayers of confession of sin. Because we need to be reminded regularly when we gather. Not to be lured to sow back in the, in the field of the flesh. But to keep sowing in the field of the spirit. The Apostle Paul wants to drive this principle of sowing and reaping. Consider, pay attention to where you are sowing. That's the principle. But there are some practical, perhaps unintuitive, applications that the Apostle Paul is bringing to this principle. So point number two is sow in the Spirit by supporting the teaching of God's Word. Sow in the Spirit by supporting the teaching of God's Word. Look at verse 6. We're backtracking. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. What does this mean? At a simple level, Paul is challenging Christians in Galatia to support those who labor among them with a proclamation of the Word of God. In other words, support the ministry of the Word with financial resources so that those who are called by God to teach God's Word can give themselves to this work fully. Now, does it seem to you odd and surprising that this application... This verse shows up in the Bible, and particularly in the book of Galatians. It surprised me. When I approached this passage, and I was thinking through, Lord, is Paul just going off on a totally random comment? You know, some people are random. And I was wondering, is Paul random here, just going off on an application that seems to be weird, out of place, disconnected with what's going on in Galatians. I love how one of the reformers, John Calvin, put it wisely. He said, it is one of the tricks of Satan to defraud godly ministers of support that the church may be deprived of such ministers. An earnest desire to preserve a gospel ministry led to Paul's recommendation that proper attention should be paid to good and faithful pastors. In other words, it's actually this very random application that should be viewed in light of everything that's going on in Galatians. And if we consider the context and the flow of these verses... Verse 6 should be read together with verse 7. It's this particular application about supporting the teaching of the Word of God that led Paul to warn the Galatian Christians about being self-deceived as to where they're sowing. Verses 6 and 7 should not be read separately, but together. The caution and the principle of sowing and reaping in verse 7 were brought up because of the correction that, brought, that Paul brought in verse 6. It's possible that the carelessness of the churches in Galatia 
to support their ministers of the gospel not only contributed to their weakness of doctrine and thus contributed to their vulnerable state for false teaching, but it also showed what they truly valued. Apparently, the churches in Galatia may have struggled with valuing the ministry of the Word of God. Instead, preferring to just live their lives for their flesh. And what they did with their finances showed. Becoming or being generous with our personal expenses, but stingy when it comes to supporting the Word of God, reveals that our hearts are investing into the wrong field. Luther also commented on this verse and said that this general sentence of sowing, Paul applied to the particular matter of nourishing and maintaining the ministers of the word, saying, He that soweth to the Spirit, that is, he that supports the teachers of God's word, does a spiritual work and shall reap life everlasting. Now, it's a sensitive topic for pastors to address the biblical teaching that churches are responsible to pay for pastors. It may come across as self-serving. I get it. This is the one verse I would prefer to skip preaching to you about. And reality is, there are stories of self-serving pastors who teach about money for selfish gain. It's real. That corruption is around us. But just because that corruption is around us does not mean that the Bible is silent on this topic. Just because people misuse the biblical teaching on this, on this topic does not mean that we should avoid it and not speak about it. Friends, the Bible is not silent on the topic of supporting those who teach God's Word. The Bible speaks clearly in multiple places of the importance of those devoted to the public teaching of God's Word that they should earn their living from it. Let me just give you one of several verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14. Paul says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, the fact that Paul has to bring up this particular application for the churches of Galatia at the end of this letter hints that perhaps the churches of Galatia thought poorly about the ministry of the word among them. So in the absence of caring well for their pastors, these churches were easily the target of the lack of pastoral care of faithful shepherding and teaching of God's Word. And thus, it's no surprise that false teaching creeped up for the churches of Galatia. One of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways churches can protect the sound teaching of the church is by ensuring that its pastors are able to devote uh, full time to the ministry of the Word. Now, yes, there are churches that are 
living in impoverished areas that are not able to support their pastors, not because they don't want to, it's because they don't have the means to do that. There are churches who are too small in size to be able to, to provide financially for their pastors. And pastors often have to, do, to be bivocational or fully uh, find something else to support during the week and, and pastor on the side. This is why we also partner with missionaries in other parts of the country or other nations of the world to help them be funded so that they can spread, focus on spreading the Word of God in places where there are no churches or the churches are way too small to provide for their financial support. Uh, we pay missionaries so they can devote their time to spread the gospel uh, in different contexts that cannot provide financial means for them. So paying for the work of teaching God's Word, of, of helping people spread it, is a biblical teaching. But the point Paul makes is that Christians should view the public teaching of God's Word as a valuable work, valuable enough to want to invest of their resources to support it. After all, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring life and strength to His people. Some folks are happy to give of their resources to all sorts of mercy ministries or charities, but have a low view of giving to their local churches, which are supposed to be embassies for the public teaching of God's Word. A priority of our giving should be to support the ministry of local churches so that it can ensure that those who are set aside by God to, to teach God's Word can do so well and effectively. Now, I say this not for my sake. I want you to hear I'm not saying this for my sake. I'm saying this for your sake. I'm saying this for the sake of the longevity and the long safety of sound teaching in this congregation and in any congregation. If the Lord blesses our congregation with financial resources, we should prioritize the teaching of the Word of God. Have you considered that your financial support to the local congregation, whether you're a member here or if, if you're a member in another congregation, your support to the congregation that you are a member of is one of the means of sowing in the Spirit. It's not the only means, but it's one of the means because the, word, because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish its work among us. I love the, uh, the story Spurgeon said once. He said, uh, he shared the, the time when a small congregation near London reached him to ask for a, for a recommendation for a pastor candidate to come to their church. Spurgeon, in his witty way, writes, The officers of a small church in the country applied to me for a minister. But the salary they were prepared to pay was so small that in reply to their request, I wrote, The only individual I know who could exist on such a stipend is the angel Gabriel. He would need neither cash nor clothes, 
he could come down from heaven every Sunday morning and go back at night. So I advise you to invite him. Our generous support for the ministry of the word is a real proof of what you believe is worth investing into. That it's worth investing in the field of the spirit more than investing in the field of the flesh. So here's point number two. We sow in the spirit by supporting the teaching of God's word. In the last few weeks and months, I've been in contact with some friends and pastors or folks who, who are members in other churches who are looking for pastors and encouraging them to consider being more generous uh, with supporting the ministry of the word, prioritizing the ministry of the word, because it is one of the ways we can ensure that the people of God are fed well and faithfully God's word so that God would continue to do his work through his spirit. Number three, sow in the spirit by serving others. Sow in the spirit by serving others. This is the last application that Paul makes in our text about what it means to sow in the spirit. It means not only to support the ministry of the word, but serving others. Look at verse 9 and then verse 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. Now, this verse clearly shows that sowing in the Spirit involves serving others by doing good to others. Now, remember how one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. Now, sowing in the Spirit is using the very fruit the Spirit gives us in the here and now to continue to invest that in our lives for what will happen and will be reaped at the end of the age. The grace of God is evident in our lives when we devote ourselves to, save, to serving others and do them good. As our brother Bogdan read earlier from Titus 2, the passage he read closes with this verse, that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Sowing in the Spirit means preserving or persevering uh, in orienting our lives for serving others, not ourselves. One of the ways you know that you're sowing in the flesh is when you live your life only for yourself. And when you have no time or no interest to serve others. Friends, it doesn't matter how good your theology is. If, if it does not affect the way it, it reorients your life away from yourself on towards others, it doesn't matter how many good things you know. In these two verses, there are two characteristics how we should give ourselves to the good of others as a means of sowing in the, in the Spirit continually and broadly, continually. The call here is not merely to serve others by doing them good, 
the call actually goes a step further. It's a call not to grow weary of doing good. Did you see that? Let us not grow weary of doing good. Why did Paul have to say it that way? Have you ever gotten tired of doing good to others? It's hard and difficult, exhausting, tiresome. Sometimes you just say, I, I've done enough. I just, need to, I just need to focus on myself. Have you ever been tempted to throw in the towel and withdraw from others and from doing good to others? Some of you may be feeling that weariness right now. You may be in a season of that. But sowing in the Spirit means serving others in a continual way and doing so by fighting the temptation to feel weary and to give up. Now, this doesn't mean that we should not have some healthy boundaries. This doesn't mean that we, um, we so give ourselves to others in a way that neglects our own walk with the Lord. That's not what it means. It means continuing to give, serving others, and focusing on others, not yourself, even when it's tired. Because when we're tired and exhausted, that's when we're more lured to go back and just live for ourselves. Are there people or situations in regards, in regards to which right now you are growing weary and tired of doing good? Consider this challenge. Doing good to others is not a ministry that you can offload and outsource to the deacons of the church. Every one of us is called to be doing good to one another, to serving others by doing good to them. Actually, even pastors, this is one of the qualifications for, for a biblical qualification to be a candidate for the pastoral work, to be hospitable and a lover of good. In other words, from deacons to pastors to every member of the church, we are to give ourselves to the doing good for one another. Are you known by others as a person who loves doing good to others? But look at verse 10. It's not only continually, it's also broadly. Verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. We may not have the opportunity to, have, to help everyone that crosses our paths, but when we do have the opportunity, we should. There are many limitations and challenges we face. This text is not calling us to give up our jobs, to give up our daily and weekly responsibilities just to be a social worker and just serve others. That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying, as we have opportunity, within the schedules that we have, within the opportunities we have, we should have the kind of heart that seeks to serve others, everyone that crosses our path. Now, some of us may feel the guilt of not being able to help 
uh, many. We may feel the guilt that we can only help a few. Again, if your opportunities are few, be faithful in the opportunities you have. If your opportunities are many, be faithful in the opportunities you have. The broad focus of serving others should not be without a priority. And this is where the last part of the text focuses. Our broad serving of others should be especially towards other believers. Look at verse 10 again. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Now, this does not mean that we should only serve other Christians. We should serve non-Christians. We should serve our community and those in our neighborhoods, in our city, as the Lord gives us opportunities. It does mean, however, that we should prioritize and start with serving those who are in the household of faith, those who are inside the church. Some Christians love to do good things only for those inside the church, and we need to hear the correction, seek to do good to everyone. But other Christians seek to do good to everyone else, but they have a low view of the life of the church and rarely get involved in the life of the church. They have no category for prioritizing the life of the church. By the way, did you notice how Paul describes Christians in this text? The household of faith. What a beautiful picture. The life of Christians should be lived as the family of faith. It's not a solo game. It's not a solo journey. It's a journey like a family. So let me ask you, do you prioritize doing good to the household of faith? It is a biblical priority, after all. Friends, it's not hard to get people to serve the community. Even non-Christians can serve the community. There's community service. And it's good to serve our communities. But non-Christians have little desire to consider serving the household of faith. What we have in common together in serving one another, in serving others, is our faith. So let's serve others from this base of being a part of the family of faith, being together of the household of faith. When we give ourselves to serving others, especially those of the household of faith, we show that our life orientation has changed towards God and towards a household he's building up through the Spirit. And with that household of faith, we commit to serve outside the walls of our household of faith, our community. But don't, don't choose between one or the other. Don't choose between serving our community and serving the household of faith. We should do both, starting with the priority of the household of faith and moving outward from that. Friends, ask yourself, is your faith leading you to serve others continually and broadly with the priority of the household of faith? Your flesh wants to keep sowing and living your life only for yourself. But this passage warns us that that investment in yourself will 
yield destructive results. According to Paul, getting the gospel clear was not the end of the book of Galatians. Actually, if we look at this whole book, making the gospel clear was just the beginning. The goal of getting the gospel clear was to help people turn away from sowing in their flesh to sowing in the spirit. For the Galatians, sowing in the flesh had all kinds of applications, from circumcision to living a works-based righteousness to living for their own fleshly desires, for not paying their pastors, for being selfish and self-centered. All of these are ways in which they were sowing in the flesh. And some of these are still applicable to us today. We may not struggle with the temptation to get circumcised. I get it. But there are other ways we are tempted to live and sow in the flesh. Is our gospel helping people turn away from sowing in their flesh to sowing in their spirit? In the spirit? Let's ask God to help us so communicate God's word to one another and to others that our people, that we are reminded each week which, which field is worth investing into. Let us labor to help each other See that what we do in response to hearing the truth of God is just as important as understanding the truth of God. Responding to this truth with a reorientation of our lives is just as important as understanding the truth of God. Let me close with one last quote from Spurgeon. He said, Ah, my dear hearers, if we would have a good harvest... We must give up sowing to ourselves, and we must sow to the Spirit. May the Lord help us. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, thank you that you give us such vivid pictures of what you call us to do and be. Father, we praise you for this picture of sowing and reaping. And for the way you have intended to use this picture in the book of Galatians in the first century and in our midst today, that you would warn us and caution us that we would not be deceived about investing our lives into that which will in the end yield corruption. Open our eyes by your Spirit to see the value and the beauty and the truth and worthiness of what your Spirit is able to do and and produce in us and for us. Enable us to sow in the Spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.